Well, as you know, we are in Joshua chapter 9. Dig deeper. That's what they would say in New England. Dig deeper. All right. We're going to read just the first couple of verses and then we'll pray together. Joshua chapter 9, verse 1. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you, God, for just the fact that we get to come together tonight, and the worship was amazing, and being around our brothers and sisters in Christ is so life-giving. We thank you for all of that. But God, now we want to just really focus in on this part of our worship, this part of, of just listening to your voice, seeking your Holy Spirit's teaching and guidance through the word. And so, Father, we dedicate this time to you, and we pray, Father God, that you'll lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this, the first couple of verses, the first thing we see is that there's all these people in the land of Canaan, the promised land, that have heard some stuff. They've heard some stuff about Joshua and Joshua's God. They've heard something about the Israelites and the Israelites' God, right? And so they are provoked to take action. What did they hear? Did you notice that it says... When all these people, and there's a long list of ites, all the people, the ites, and then it says, when they heard of this, heard of what? Well, remember, they had heard about Jericho. They had heard that Joshua and the Israelites did defeat Ai when going up against them a second time. They heard how they were delivered from Egypt. They heard about the battles fought and won on the other side of the Jordan. So they've been hearing of the reputation of God and of this group of people. And so they're provoked to take action. Uh, I, I, I think this is so interesting, you know, how God's fame just spreads like that, doesn't it? God's name just spreading, and he wants to spread like that today as well through testimonies of what he does in the lives of people. It may not be conquering a group of people that you're doing, but God is moving in your life, and he wants that word to spread. All right. Do you remember, though, that there was a slight issue with Joshua? When he first came up on the people of Ai, his leaders thought, man, we got this in the bag, right, in chapter 7. We got this in the bag. They didn't ask God. They just went to battle against this people. And what happened? They were defeated soundly the first time. I mean, they were running away from the people, running away. And 3,000 people died that day. But something else happened. You remember Achan? What did Achan do? He was not Achan for bacon. What was he Achan for? His name was Achan, and he was Achan for the things in Ai. He wanted the things. Remember, he took clothing, and he took 
things that were, they were dedicated to what? To be destroyed. God said, I want those things destroyed. They were devoted to destruction because they had previously been devoted to pagan gods. God says, I want them destroyed. Achan thought, I'm just going to take this little bit of stuff right here. I'm just going to pack it away. Nobody will ever know, but of course God saw. So Joshua found out that there was sin in the camp. He found that out. And so he, what? They had to, we know that Achan was singled out. And not just Achan, but his family, right? Everything that he owned was destroyed so we know that this happened. So yes, we have victories. We have Egypt. We have uh, the battle against Jericho. We have that they finally conquered Ai. We have all these things. But there is this little thing on Joshua's record. He didn't pray and listen to God. And guess what? Tonight, we're going to watch him relearn the same lesson. Does that sound familiar? Do any of you ever have to relearn the same lesson, the thing that God taught you and you learned it the hard way because sometimes we're just stubborn that way? We learn it the hard way and we say to ourselves, I'll never do that again. I'll never make that same mistake again. Not next time. Next time, I'm going to listen. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And well, poor Josh. But here we go. Ready? We're going to start in verse 3. It says, But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, uh, with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. You guys know why they did that? You're going to find out. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? Now, why is that significant? Well, because, see, people had already heard that God specifically told them to wipe out and leave no one in the promised land. They were to conquer and destroy. So this group of people pretended that they were from far away and pretended they had journeyed a long way. And the leaders in, in Israel were like, um but what if you're really from here? Remember, the children of Israel didn't really know all of the people there, all of the little kingdoms. They weren't familiar with it, and so they're like, what if they're trying to fool us? And they actually asked that question. Right? So, who are you, basically, they're saying? Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? But they said, the Gibeonites said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come 
because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan. By the way, I really think that my son and his wife should name their next son uh, Og, but they don't agree. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants, come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it in from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them and behold, they've burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. So the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Now this is really interesting, right? So we have some of the kingdoms in this area wanted to have this direct frontal attack on the Israelites. Why? They knew this group of people was coming. They, they had heard all of the reports and they're like, man, let's join all of our forces together. Let's have a big old army and let's just go together. Let's get them, right? So that was the plan. And, and it's interesting, right? Because these ki kingdoms were not friendly to each other but they were willing to link together to try to defeat the Israelites. Well, interesting, just a point of thought. Did you know that bitter, negative people often do the same thing? Bitter, negative people also often don't like somebody, but if they think they can link together with another bitter, negative person against someone, they'll do that. It's a, it's a weird thing about humans. I don't know what it is with us. And that old saying, right, the, the friend of my, wait, the, the enemy of my, enemy is my friend. There you go. Right, that, that idea. But, so we see this, these kingdoms come together. But the Gibeonites were like, no, we have a better idea. We don't think we can defeat them that way. So what we're going to do is we're going to deceive them. We're going to have another plan we're going to concoct another story. Let's deceive them into thinking that we don't dwell in the promised land, the land of Canaan. Hey, we're strangers, just like you. We just heard about how great you are, and we wanted to come and say hi and make a covenant with you. Isn't it interesting that they had all of this God talk they were talking about God and all that they had heard about God. And it made them more believable to the children of Israel. And I feel like sometimes the people of God today are the same way. We'll listen to anybody who can throw around churchy words in a conversation and believe that it's okay for us to make a covenant with them. It's okay for us to get into a deal with them. It's okay for us to believe them and take them into our confidence because they throw a churchy word around without knowing who they are, without understanding what makes them tick, without seeing the fruit in their lives, 
because we just listen to churchies and we think, man, they're one of us. You know, I, I think about like rock stars and athletes who win an award or they, you know, they win the game and they're the MVP or whatever and they stand in front of the microphone and they point to God and say, first of all, I want to thank God. That's great. And maybe they're sincere. Maybe. We don't know. I mean, it's awesome that they're thanking God. What happens after that? What happens after that press conference? You know, we, we don't always use discernment that God has given us to use. I think sometimes it's because we want to believe the best, and that's a good thing. Sometimes we don't want to question motives. I get that. And we tell ourselves that even though their words don't match up with their life, hey, who are we to judge? Because we have some problems too. And that's true. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect, right? But I certainly hope that we're doing our best to follow after Christ and that there is character formation happening in our lives. Character formation and spiritual formation should be happening. I want to tell you that, yes, Christians aren't perfect, but there is a morality to life. There's a morality that Christians, that, that we're to live as believers. We don't just excuse everyone's immorality because we have some issues in our own life that we're working on. When we look at people's lives, we're looking for the fact that there's some fruit and some growth there to know whether or not we want to link arms with that person who's a brother or a sister. We can minister to anybody, whether they're born again or not. We can spend time with people that are lost, lost, lost. There's nothing wrong with that. And you can pour into their lives. The problem becomes when we hang around with people and then we become like them, but their lives do not reflect the kind of life God wants us to have. That's the same as paganism. See, that was the problem where God was concerned about the Israelites linking up with pagans because he didn't want his people to be infected with paganism. And in a way, that can happen to us based on who we choose to hang around with, where instead of us influencing them, we allow them to influence us. So yes, we should minister. We should minister to the lost. We should minister to addicts. We should minister to prostitutes. We should minister to uh, businessmen and businesswomen and whoever God brings into our path. But the idea is, is that we're telling them about the greatness and the goodness of God. And they're affected by the life of Christ in us. The spirit of God overflowing in us. So sometimes we don't use the discernment that, that God has given us for relationships, either what's in the word of God or what is available to us through the Holy Spirit, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more in just a moment. So the men of Israel said to them, but maybe you live here in Canaan. How can we make a covenant with you? The Gibeonites answered, we're your servants. And Joshua, still suspicious, says, who are you and where do you come from? And they basically say, far, far away. We're from far, far away. We heard about the name of your God and all of his exploits, and here we are. We want to check it out. 
In fact, the elders of our kingdom said, hey, take some goods, go and meet them in order to make a covenant. And then they went on to convince Joshua with their bread. Come on, look at our bread. It's dry and crumbly. <laughs> That's funny. But it wasn't just the bread. They also had wineskins that had been sewn together because they'd split open. That looked like it. they were old. Their clothes were old. Their shoes were old and nasty, you know, stinky shoes. They looked like they had been on a trip and it worked. Joshua had been conned. The men of Israel had been conned. Have you ever been conned? I have. I've been conned. You know, and every time something like that has happened to me, or some, I've seen something like that happen to someone else, they all say the same thing that I feel, which is when I look back on it, I see a time when there was a check in my spirit, a red flag, a thought, a feeling that the Holy Spirit was giving me that said, wait a minute, check that out. Pray about that. And any time I was conned was when I disregarded that. I disregarded it thinking, man, maybe I'm just being religious. Maybe I'm just being scared or fearful. What I should have done is gone to the Lord and sought his face and prayed and taken the time to pray. I feel like we're so much in a rush these days. You know, somebody says something, they offer you something, they want to sell you something, they've got something amazing, you're going to make so much money so quickly. They do that, and we're embarrassed to say, you know what, I have to pray about it, because we're afraid they're going to call us a religious weirdo. They're going to think we're Jesus freaks, or something. But you know what? I am a Jesus freak. I'm a Jesus freak, and I'm happy, and I want everybody to know. The truth is, is that I don't need to be ashamed to say, let me think on this and pray on it. I'll get back to you. Oh, but this deal only lasts for an hour. Okay, well, I guess I'll miss out then. That's what I say. Or I go to buy a car, anything else. As soon, if any of you are in sales, you would hate me. Because as soon as the salesman starts saying, well, you know, this deal is only, oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm fine. I don't really need it. Because I, I will not be pressured or conned. I want to go to my quiet place and pray. I want to talk with my wife. I want to know that we're in agreement before moving forward. And I look here and I think, man, Joshua was conned and these guys were conned. There's a discernment of the Holy Spirit that we have as New Testament believers. And, you know, I think of the scripture, let the peace of God rule and reign in your heart the peace of God, that little witness of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not necessarily talking about the peace where you come to a big crossroads and you're like, oh God, which way do I go? This way or that way? Although that's great too. But I'm talking about the fact that we live within the peace of God as believers. The peace of God reigns and rules in your heart. That means that when you're in a situation, the Holy Spirit is with you. And there is a sense that that peace is disturbed. And when that peace is disturbed, it's a great time to say, 
I'm sorry, I need to pray about this. I need to pray about it. I need to, to step away and pray. Are you using the discernment that God has given you? You know, when we're walking in line with his word, when we're in fellowship with him, we're in unity with our brothers and sisters, there's no reason to expect that the Holy Spirit would not prompt us or give us discernment in those situations. So Joshua buys what they're selling, so to speak, and he makes a covenant before God with the Gibeonites without asking God. Wow. In just a moment, we're going to see that Joshua regrets that. And the same thing happens to us when we don't use discernment of the Holy Spirit and ask God what we should do. It always leads to regret. I thank God for his grace that gets us out of those situations or helps us get through those situations. And should we talk about the fact that they didn't even ask God? Should that be something we talk about? That was what happened with AI the first time, right? He didn't ask. And I know that Joshua thought, man, I'm never going to do that again. He had to think that. But here he is, about to relearn that difficult lesson. What about you? Is your life on autopilot? Do you think that you're the captain of your own destiny? Do you think that God only cares about the big things in your life and everything else he leaves up to you? Candidly, I thought about, I thought all of those things at one time or the other in my life and sometimes all at the same time. I mean, I am an A personality and I am prone to action, although I'm getting better in my old age. Sometimes I feel like we make the decision to leave God out of things because we have this weird corporate view of Christianity in which we're the boss and he's like the silent partner. And we make the decisions, we, have, we do all the operating decisions, and he has a vote, you know, at some point in, in major ways, but not in smaller ways. And then as we make these decisions, and we realize we need his help, we say, God, please bless what I've done. Please bless the decision I made. But in reality, we see that God has an actual plan for us an actual plan that he would like us to follow. And if there's humility, you see, there's, there's humility built into asking for his help and asking for his advice. Not to mention, there's a beauty in the relationship that is created between us and God. Having conversation with the Most High God. Think about that. Having a conversation with Creator God. Think of the intimacy and the beauty of that relationship, the way he set it up. It's so that we could know him and he could know us. I think of the practice that we get in listening for God's voice. You know, if, if we don't go to God with everything in our lives, we, we don't get that practice of submitting, that practice 
of listening and hearing, that practice of that check in our heart, we don't get that. We're missing out. We're missing out on an element of relationship that he intended for us to have. And sometimes we can slip into the mindset, there are some things that God shouldn't even be bothered with. You know, he's so big, he's so great, he's so grand, and he is all those things. But we think we shouldn't take him the little stuff. We only go to him with the big stuff. I have cancer. Um, my, I, I'm losing my job. My, my kid is getting a divorce. We go to him with those big things, and we should but the fact that we think we can handle all of the little things without him, I think is a miss for us. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that if you don't pray about every little thing, then God isn't with you during that thing. I am not saying that. God is with you and will never leave you or forsake you. The spirit of God lives within the believer. I believe that God is with you. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is how beautiful to invite God into every circumstance of our life. How beautiful. What a miss not to. What a strange thing that we would somehow start thinking that he didn't care about the little things when he himself said... In the word, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's not about getting all the goodies we want. That's not what that means. It's saying he gives us all we need and all of the spiritual blessings we need and all the relationship we need and all the power that we need and all of the love and forgiveness and mercy and grace that we need. When we come to him like that, it's saying that, that he cares intimately and we recognize that. That he, can, he cares about every concern that we have. Remember the verse that's when he talks about uh, the sparrows, right? The sparrows, if one falls, he sees. That he clothes the grass of the field. He cares intimately about everything. He sustains this creation so that we can stay on this planet and not be flung off. He is sustaining your very breath right now. You think he doesn't care about all the details in your life? I just can't believe sometimes I mean, I believe it, but I can't fathom how he would desire an intimate relationship with somebody like me. And that's why he wants me to come to him regularly throughout the day, every day, to speak with him. That's what he wants from you. And I want to challenge you tonight that this week, as you lift up prayer to God, that you wouldn't just pray about the big things but that you would try having a conversation with Jesus. Just talk to him. You can't tell because I'm teaching, and so you probably think I talk all the time. But I'm actually a very quiet person. And my wife has to sometimes pull words out of me, you know, like to get me to communicate, because I'll just sit and stare at her and smile. <laughs> and she'll be like, 
You want to talk? So I had to train myself to think, first of all, that God wanted to hear all the details. And secondly, that I wanted to be vulnerable enough and expend the energy to tell him. I know that seems so shallow of me, but it takes energy to communicate for me. <laughs> energy like, I don't mean like physical energy. I mean like emotional energy. When I talk with people, I love talking with people, but I'm really drained afterwards. But what I found is that when I go to God and I'm just talking with him and I'm telling him everything about my day, what's happening, in my, what's on my calendar that day, that week, I'm worried about this person, I'm concerned about this person and all of that. As I'm talking to him, I do not feel drained when I'm done. I feel filled up. I feel closer. Not that he was far away, but I feel it. I feel the intimacy that's there. But it's not just about intercession. We know that we can go to him with praise and thanksgiving. And even when things are going crummy for you, and maybe they do sometimes, I mean, let's be honest, things aren't always perfect. You can praise prophetically. You can tell him how great he is, even though you know there's something really scary on the horizon. You can tell him, God, I trust you, and I love you, and you're good even though something inside of you is like, oh, but does he care about this? Or is he going to do this? Or is this going to work out? And yes, praise him prophetically. Thank him for his goodness and his faithfulness. Intercede for the needs in your life and others' lives. Tell him everything and then just talk to him along the way. Do you do that when you're driving? Do you do that when you're walking? Do you do that when you're just hanging out? Do you just talk to God, just a popcorn prayer thrown up to heaven or just a thought. Today, I um, did something really dumb. I know that's shocking. And um, it was really dumb. And I, I dropped my cell phone and, um, in a little like puddle of water. And I literally said, Oh, God. That was ridiculous, wasn't it? <laughs> and I meant about me, you know. And I reached down and I picked it up and it was fine and everything. But somebody walking by me was like, are you talking to yourself? I said, no. I was talking to myself. Said, Who are you talking to? God. He said, well, did you just tell him he's ridiculous? I said, no. I told him I was ridiculous. <laughs> just that, just talking, just communication. And then one other thing I want to say is silence before the Lord to find time for silence before the Lord. All part of intimacy and developing the prayer life. You know, Joshua didn't pray. He missed it on this one. And the application for us is, do we, do we pray? Do we pray about the big things, about the little things? Do we just talk to him? Do we spend time in silence before him? Let's uh, pick it up in verse 16. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. Oops. 
And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chephirah, Beroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, that all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them, let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live, So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. So Joshua and the leaders of Israel were deceived. They were conned. And after they traveled for three days' journey, they came upon the same people they had spoken with that were from far, far away. Three days' journey is like 25 to 30 miles, right? So they found out, man, they had been conned. They weren't from far, far away. So the people of Israel were very upset with their leaders. You know, they're very upset. We don't know exactly why they were upset. Maybe it was because they weren't going to get all the bounty, you know, the booty from conquering them. Maybe. Maybe it was because they recognized the prayerlessness of their leaders. Perhaps. I just want to say it's important for leaders to pray. It's important for leaders to pray. I'm not just talking about church leaders. I'm talking about the leader of a family or a business or a relationship. And certainly the church. No human leader is perfect and we all make mistakes. And the people of the Lord are extremely forgiven, forgiving and gracious. But there's a limit to what people will accept from Christian leaders, church leaders. There's an expectation that we are in relationship with God and communicating or communing with him regularly. So when church leaders just continue to make one mistake after the other, you know, people are very gracious and forgiving, but at some point they're like, hey, what's going on? And maybe that's where these people were at in following Joshua. Hey, this is the second time this has happened. What is going on here? To the credit of Joshua and, and, and the other leaders, they would not break the oath that they'd given before the Lord. They would not break the oath, even though it was to their harm. It created consequences. It created um, some confusion and difficulty for the children of Israel at this point. Remember, they were supposed to conquer and destroy all of the inhabitants of Canaan and take the land. Now they couldn't because they'd given this oath. And so, you know, they were like, wow, this is, this is changing the plan. What's going on? But we find out that God wanted them to keep that oath. Later, King Saul, the first human king of Israel, remember, he tried to wipe out the Gibeonites, and God was very angry and threatened to bring judgment on the people of Israel because this covenant was made between Joshua and these people. I could go into a whole message on the importance of keeping our oath, the importance of being people of integrity. Let's keep reading, verse 22. Joshua summoned them and he said to them, why did you deceive us, saying, we are very far from you, when you dwell among us? 
Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we're in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. So Joshua confronts them and he tells them, you're going to be cursed with a life of servitude. You're going to be our servants. It's interesting that he put them close to the house of the Lord. Close to the house of the Lord. And in Jewish history, if you look, never was there a time recorded in the Bible or otherwise where the Gibeonites influenced the children of Israel to paganism. Never once. But they were integrated into the Jewish religion. They would be influenced by the children of Israel rather than the other way around. Is this why Joshua put them near the house of the Lord? Was this God's direction, his sovereignty? I do not know, but I find that very interesting. So they would serve the Lord as servants of Joshua and the people of Israel. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you find the Gibeonites, the people of this region, that they have significant places in worship, significant places in the temple. And so they become part of the Jewish history and part of the tapestry. And this is the point where that happens. It just reminds me over and over again how God takes our mess ups and he gives grace. He takes the difficult things and he uses them for our good. He takes the ashes and he turns it to beauty, just like we sang tonight. He takes our mourning and turns it to joy. So three warnings from this chapter for us. The discernment of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is crucial. Number two, our lives should be saturated in prayer as we develop and enjoy sweet communion with Jesus. And number three, ungodly alliances can lead us into possible compromise in our walk with God. And even though God is gracious in this situation, that compromise was still on Joshua's record and it made the life of the children of Israel more complicated God tells us to do things for our benefit, for our benefit. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you, God, for your presence here tonight. We thank you for your word. It's so rich, so good. God, we don't want to just read it like a textbook. We don't want to just come to church and check off a box and answer emails while we're sitting there listening. God, we're here to hear from you and hear from your word, to celebrate you, to worship you together as a body. 
So God, we pray that you would take the truth from this passage and that it would just go down deep inside our hearts and bear great fruit. If there are areas in our lives, God, where we need more discernment and we need to learn to listen to your spirit and that peace that you bring, we pray, God, that you would help us. God, if we're struggling in prayer and we just don't really have a real prayer relationship with you, I pray, God, that we would break through, that you would give us breakthrough in that area and that people would begin to commune with you, to spend time with you, to speak with you, and to see you move in their lives. And God, protect us from alliances with people that we're not to have. Help us be a light to all. Help us be a witness to all. Help us to, to reach out and help people in every walk of life. But let us not make alliances with people that will take us away from our walk with you. We praise you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.